Well, it's uh, good to sing. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Alicia, to, to remember these promises of God and God's grace and God's mercy. Um, I don't know about you, but lately I've just singing and music has just been really helpful just kind of in these times of lockdown and quarantine. And I, I was thinking as we were preparing for this Easter Sunday of some words that were said uh, many actually months ago in our church. We were w- working through a sermon series in Hebrews. And in Hebrews chapter one, it says that long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And and these words from, from the writer of Hebrews that now in this time, in this time in history, God speaks through his son, Jesus. Um, and even in the, the, the gospel writers would say that, that if we've seen the Father, we've seen the Son. If we've seen the Son, we've seen the Father. So, so Jesus is the exact imprint, the exact nature of who God is. And so if we want to know what God is like and what he does and what he says, we, we, we look at Jesus and he shows us what his glory is and what his grace is, that he's full of grace and he's full, full of, of truth. And so we, we just came off of Good Friday and, and we looked at a few of the sayings that Jesus uh, said from the cross, these last seven sayings of Jesus, um, it is finished, and, and I thirst, and into your hands I commit uh, my spirit. And so I thought this morning, as we look at the, the Easter accounts, the resurrection accounts, uh, what did Jesus say to us? What did Jesus say to his disciples after he was resurrected from the dead? Because we have these, these stories of, from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of Easter, and they're very concise, uh, and there's not a, a ton of detail. And sometimes they, they kind of leave us bewildered, like, what is Jesus doing? Why did he do it? But I, but I think the, the writers of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, by focusing on what Jesus says as he comes out of the tomb and as he speaks and meets with his friends, his disciples, we gain a lot of insight into who he is and what he's like and what he's up to uh, in, the, in the world. And so I want to just spend a few minutes here uh, this morning as we celebrate Easter together, looking at a few sayings of Jesus after his resurrection from Matthew's gospel. And so I'm going to be reading from Matthew uh, 28, one of the gospel accounts. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all have accounts of the resurrection. They all have different details. They all highlight different things. But I want to read from Matthew's gospel because I think a few of the things that Jesus says uh, after the resurrection are very enlightening. Uh, so, so let's read that together. Matthew 28, verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the day, dawn, I should say, of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for the fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples and behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and told, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see 
me. So this is God's word to us from, from Matthew's account. There's some interesting interactions that are, that are happening. It's the, the context is, is Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. He's, he's, he's been dead for part of three days. It's Sunday morning. It's the Sabbath day. The two Marys come, uh, two of his disciples come to see the tomb. And, and what, what's interesting about this and what is suggested in the other gospel accounts is that these Marys were not expecting Jesus to be raised from the dead. We, we don't get the, the emphasis here in Matthew's gospel, but in John's gospel, they were going to anoint Jesus with spices and herbs because when a, when a body was decomposing in a grave, you would go and anoint them with spices and herbs so they wouldn't, wouldn't smell. Uh, you can imagine the, uh, the Middle Eastern desert, uh, bodies would decompose fairly quickly. And so this was a way to, to anoint the body so it wouldn't smell. So they're, they're going there not expecting Jesus to be alive. And so you can imagine as they come up to the tomb, this, this angel shows up, rolls back the stone. The guards are freaking out, as you do when you see a giant angel rolling back the stone where Jesus was supposed to be, and he's not there. They're filled with fear, and, and he tells them he's not here. He's one of the most stunning phrases in all of Scripture, verse 6. He is not here, for he has risen. The Marys came not expecting a dead person to come back to life. They were expecting to find their master, their savior, dead as a doornail in the tomb. They were coming to anoint him. Now, what's fascinating about this is that Jesus has been telling them for three years that I'm going to die, I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to rise on the third day. If you read Mark's gospel, Mark 8, 9, and 10, say the same thing, that Jesus says, I'm going to die, I'm going to suffer and I'm going to rise again from the dead. And yet, for some reason, the disciples don't have that fresh in their minds and hearts. They're not expecting Jesus to rise from the dead. Dead people don't come back to life. And that's, for me, what makes the resurrection true and and the narrative accounts so honest is that if I was going to write a fake narrative or write a fantasy or a mythology, it wouldn't look like this. It would be people with robust faith and saying, yes, of course, Jesus said he was going to die and he was going to rise from the dead. I'm at the tomb waiting for him to come back to life. But but we don't see any of that. His closest friends, his closest companions, his disciples abandoned him at the cross and they abandoned him at the tomb. They weren't expecting a resurrection. So the angel comforts them, tells them to go quickly to Galilee to tell the other disciples that Jesus has risen from the, the dead. And, and notice what it says in verse 9, that, and behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. So, so, so the, the first little phrase or saying I, I want to focus on here is just the simple, the simple phrase from Jesus, greetings. Now, I've read the Easter accounts many, many times. I've preached from these texts, and it would be easy for us to gloss over what Jesus is doing, what he's saying. Now, he pauses and he says, he says, greetings. Now, in the English, it might just seem like just a word of encouragement or just something you say like, hey, how's it going? How's your day going? But not in this context. Not after the Son of God has resurrected from the dead and nobody is expecting a resurrection. And he's front and center with the Marys, his disciples, and he's saying greetings. Now, this word greetings has the the meaning of rejoice, be glad. It's a a greeting of health and happiness. Rejoice and be glad. I'm I'm alive. I'm here. How are you? Now, remember what I said just a few minutes ago. Jesus has told his disciples multiple times, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise from 
the dead. And yet his disciples are nowhere to be found. They, they, they're not coming to the tomb to, because of resurrection. They're, they're fearful. They're scared. There's a lot of unknowns. There, there's all kinds of doubts. And, and, and our Savior's gone. Our leader's gone. What are we going to, to do? And yet here is Jesus saying greetings to his disciples. Be glad. Rejoice. There's no condemnation in his voice. There's no hate in his voice. There's no, where have you been? Why have you abandoned me? I, I, that's probably what I would have done if my closest friends and companions bailed on me was, where have you guys been? I, I've been telling you this was part of the mission. This is what was supposed to happen. And yet you're nowhere to be found. And the response of the Marys is, is very enlightening as well. It says that they came and they took hold of his feet and worshiped him. But right before that in verse 8, it says they were they were full of fear and great joy. There's this, this tension of fear and great joy. Now, now again, I, I love the way Matthew highlights those details of how these, these two disciples are experiencing the resurrection of Jesus. There's, there's fear, and it's not, not a, a reverent fear. This is a, I am scared. I don't know what's going on. I'm not expecting a dead man to come back to life. We're just coming to, to anoint the body and making sure it doesn't smell because it's going to rot very quickly. Th- this is not what we expected. We did not expect an angel to show up and tell us uh, that, that Jesus was alive, that he's not here, and you need to go find him and tell the other disciples. This was not part of what we were coming to experience. So there's a, a sense of fear, but there's also a sp- sense of joy. Now, these might just be random details, but it's very interesting that when Jesus first shows up on the scene in Matthew chapter 2, when Jesus is born in his incarnation, when the Magi show up in Matthew chapter 2, verse 10, it says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary and his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. The, the response to Jesus in the Gospels is you can't, Jesus, you, you can't be neutral with Jesus. There's always a, I, I love him, I worship him, or I hate him, or I despise him. There's no indifference with Jesus. When, when the Magi saw the baby born and, 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 and came and saw him to bring gifts, they, they bowed and worshiped him with exceedingly great joy. We can't even, there's not even an English word to, to say how excited and joyful they were at the sight of Jesus. And Matthew's picking up that same word here, even though it's woven with fear. We didn't expect a dead man to rise. There's great joy in worshiping this Jesus, and we see it in their response. They, they, don't, they don't just say, oh, great, he's, he's alive. It's they actually wrap their arms around him at his feet and worship him. They know who this Jesus is. It's not just a rabbi in the first century saying pithy things. This is the Son of God risen from the dead. And we also get a hint that Jesus' body, it's fully resurrected they wrap around his feet. He's not a ghost. He's not a spirit. He's as alive as you and I would be alive, different, but fully resurrected with scars in his sides and scars in his hands and his, his nails. He's there and the Marys are bowing before him to worship him. And Jesus always has that power over us when we see him for who he is. It's, we can't be indifferent with him. There's fear and joy. And what I, what I love about this is, is later on in Matthew's account, when, when Matthew gives the Great Commission, they, they finally come to, the, the, to Galilee with the disciples. And, and he doesn't name them, but he says in verse 16, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. 
There's no identifying who doubted and who worshiped. But there's a mixture, right? There, there's fear and there's worship. There's fear and there's joy. And Jesus has no problem with any of it. He says, greetings to you, blessings to you. Some feared, some doubted. It doesn't matter to Jesus. He understands that that resurrection isn't supposed to happen. He understands that messiahs aren't supposed to die. And yet he meets them right in the reality, in the balance, in the complexity of our joys and of our fears and says, greetings, I'm with you, rejoice. I'm risen from the dead. He's not thrown off by their weak and brittle faith. And isn't that just a a great comfort to us when we think about how Jesus still speaks to us, that now that God speaks through his his son, he says those same words to to you, Ryan, (laughs) to to you, whoever's listening on the other side of this camera. He he says the same greetings to you, even when your, your faith is great, when your faith is weak, when you're full of fear and when you're full of joy, I meet you right in the midst of those things, both of those realities. When you're full of faith and you're full of doubt, I'm right there with you. When you don't understand what is going on in our world, I'm right there with you. Which leads to a, another uh, phrase from the resurrection, another word from Jesus, which I think fits very nicely with, the, with this idea of, of just this greeting and blessing is, he says, secondly, in verse 10, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Earlier, Jesus speaking through the angel In verse four, and for fear of him, the guards trembled, became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Jesus already meets them through the angel before anything even happens and says, I I know you're, you're afraid. You don't need to be afraid. Do not be afraid. Again, this is brilliant storytelling from Matthew and the details that he highlights. I mentioned earlier that, you know, the, the Magi are worshiping as Jesus is born. They're, they're worshiping with great joy. Matthew's doing this in, in 28, that Marys are worshiping with great joy. There, there's this beautiful little sandwich happening here between the gospels, the beginning and the end. But he does it again. He plays on this word of do not be afraid. Remember when the angel comes to Joseph, in Matthew 1, verse 20, he says, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The, the book of Matthew starts with fear. Of course, Joseph, he's got this, this, this girlfriend he's not even married to yet. And the, and the Holy Spirit is going to put the, the Son of God in her womb. He, he's going to be ostracized in his community. And, and the angel shows up and says, I know you don't understand all of this, but don't be afraid. It's going to make sense eventually that Jesus, the Emmanuel, the God with us, the one who came to, to save us from our sins, he's, he's, he's going to be born by, in the womb of Mary. And I know it's crazy and it's, it's, it's weird, but Jesus is doing the same thing. Mary, I understand that this is very confusing, even though I've been talking about it for for quite a few years now. I'm resurrected from the dead. I'm alive as ever. But don't be afraid. You don't need to be afraid. Everything is in my hands. Everything is in my control. We see this fear is very strong in the disciples, again, showing that they weren't expecting a resurrection. That they were expecting something very, very different, and it didn't include dead men coming back to life. Because in John's account, 
In John 20, verse 19, it says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then as the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. The, the disciples are huddled behind locked doors because they're fearful of the Jews that, that might kill them or persecute them. They don't, they don't understand that Jesus is alive at this point. And they haven't seen him yet. And, and, and Jesus comes. He's obviously, this is why I said his, his, his resurrected body's a little bit different because he doesn't have to knock on the door. He can just come right through the door. He's not a ghost, but he's fully resurrected from the dead. And the first words that he speaks to his disciples in their fear is, peace be with you. No condemnation. No, you backstabbing friends. Where have you been? Why have you not listened to me? What, why are you disobedient? He says, First says greetings, and then he says, peace be with you. Do not be afraid. I know you don't understand all of this, but I'm alive. And I've raised from the dead. I, I've, I've come and done exactly what I said I was going to do. I've overcome death. I've overcome suffering. I've overcome sin by my, my resurrection. So don't be afraid. I, I think that the idea of fear and, and the fear that we all experience has has reached ha, has wreaked havoc in our lives on so many levels. I think of I mean our our, our daily lives right today in the, in the midst of a pandemic. How much fear plays plays in our lives? How much has fear shipwrecked marriages? How much has fear ruined bank accounts? How much has fear caused spiritual damage to our our souls? The, the fear of, of missing out the fear of not having enough, the, the fear of not having the right relationship, the fear of, of I've done too many wrong things, too many bad things. God could never love me. God could never receive me. The fear of being found out. And here's Jesus speaking a word of grace. Do not be afraid. I'm with you. Peace be with you. The Apostle Paul in his letter in 2 Timothy uh, verse uh, chapter one, verse seven says that, that God has given us not a spirit of fear, but, but a spirit of love and self-control because, because fear makes us out of control. And so here's Jesus in a moment where we'd all be expected to be fearful and scared with the unknowns. And he says, don't be afraid. I'm right here. I'm with you. The same God that spoke 2,000 years ago is the same God that says those same words to us today, that God speaks through his son. He hasn't stopped. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The, the, the character and the nature and the actions of Jesus that we see in him are the same actions and character and the words that the Father speaks to us every single day. Don't be afraid. I've risen from the dead. Everything is going to ultimately be okay. Peace be with you. You don't have to fear death. You don't have to fear sin or hell or suffering or pandemics or sickness or disabilities or not accomplishing your goals. I'm making you and the entire world new. God still speaks through his son and through his resurrection. The, the, the tomb is empty. These gospel words have still meaning and life in them because God has not changed one bit. So many people think of the Easter story as the end, right? It's, it's 
Jesus lived, he, he died, he rose again, and now it's the end, we all get to go to heaven. But the way that the gospel writers lay out the resurrection accounts is it's actually just the beginning. That on the first day of the week, on the Sabbath, something new has broken in because of the resurrection. Now we're full, filled with a new kind of hope. We're, we're filled with a new kind of power that Jesus is within, with us. The Apostle Paul talks multiple times that by Jesus' death and resurrection, that we are identified, we're united in that same reality. He's already placed us in the heavenly places that we've already been resurrected with him. We already belong to him. We're already secure in him. So imagine how much confidence that would give us to risk our lives for him. How much confidence that would give us each day, even if we're experiencing suffering or experiencing sickness or experiencing a disability. How much confidence would that give us in the midst of a pandemic? That I'm with you. Don't be afraid. I've been, I'm raised from the dead. I'm alive and you're alive with me already. There's nothing to fear any longer. And then the, the last phrase, just to, to highlight for us uh, this morning, uh, comes in verse, verse 10. And again, a lot of these details are easy to just gloss over or miss. But he says in verse 10, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there you will see me. Jesus is using familial language, family language. You're my, go find my brothers. Oh wait, the brothers that abandoned me, the brothers that betrayed me, the, the one that Peter said, hey, I, I, don't, want, I don't even know the guy uh, before Jesus being crucified. He's like, I don't even know who the guy is. That one, yeah, go tell my brothers. You're my sisters, Marys, but go tell my brothers that I'm, I've risen from the dead. It's, it's family language. We see this in other accounts as well, the way that Jesus makes his words personal. They're personalized. They're not distant. They're not, they're not, I am God. I am king. I am master. He's, he, he's saying, you're my friends. You're my brothers. You're my sisters. He does it in, in John's gospel as well. In John chapter uh, 20, when, when Mary, uh, one of the details John gives in his gospel account, when Mary sees Jesus uh, raised from the dead and in John 20, 16, he says, Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the, to the father. He personalized and calls out her name, Mary. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a personal, it's not a, not, hey, you, it's not, hey, disciple, it's, it's Mary. He, he calls her name in a direct way. Later in, in that same gospel account in, in 21.5, John 21, 5, Jesus is sitting with his disciples. He's resurrected from the dead. He, he wants to cook a meal for them. In verse 5, he says, Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? He addresses them as children, as brothers, as sisters, as family. We know in, in Matthew's account, when, when Jesus says, who's my brothers, who's my sisters, who's my mothers, who's my fathers? He says, it's those who do my will. You're part of my family. Jesus' resurrection is very strange because it's not a big public spectacle. He actually comes to his friends, his closest companions. He doesn't stand in, in, in the Roman square and say, hey, I want to tell everyone, hey, look, I'm dead. You thought I was, you were going to kill me and you thought you, know, you were going to get off the hook. I was innocent and yet you put me on trial. He doesn't do any of that. He comes to his closest friends. He comes to his closest companions and says, peace be with you. Greetings. I love you. I'm with you. 
I don't hold this against you despite you abandoning me, despite you not listening to me, even your weak faith, even, even Thomas, who's full of doubt and says, I need to see that it takes him a whole week to embrace Jesus. He, he finally touches his hands and touches his feet and sees the, the scars and says, Hey, if you, if you need that evidence, Hey, I'll give it to you as well. I'm alive. You can trust me. Jesus meets us as, as friends, as family members. He invites us into his inner circle. We've been talking about that as a church of this idea of cultivating a friendship with Jesus. That Jesus doesn't just say, I, I don't want disciples, but he's looking for friends to be part of his inner circle. That doesn't mean we're equal to Jesus. It doesn't mean we're divine like Jesus, but, but he's saying that's the kind of relationship that I want to have. And, and Jesus models that between him and the father. He addresses him as father, daddy, Abba. And so the, the, the same ways in which all the blessings of Jesus fall on him are the same blessings that fall on us that we can call God, Abba, Father, Daddy. He invites us to be friends. And so this Jesus always operates in personal ways. He always operates not in general hands-off ways, but he always comes right to us just as he is with the disciples. Greetings. Peace be with you. Let's eat to his closest friends, and he invites us to be part of his, his family. Well, how, how, does that, how does that begin? How do, we, how do we do that? I mean, if Jesus invites us to be part of his family, what does that require? And, and I think the first obvious one that the scriptures say all the time, and when Jesus began his public ministry, he says, repent for the, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of God is near. And, and repentance is really the, the big no that we place on our lives. It's, a, it's an action word. It means to stop. It means to turn Turn away from your sins. Turn, turn away from your ways of thinking. Turn, turn away from your ways of being in the world that are likely wrong. And turn to me. Die to your autonomous self. Die to your self-will. Die to your, your evil and the ways in which you've tried to live your life on your own power, in your own strength. And turn away from yourself and your sin and turn to me. Turn to my grace and my peace. Turn to my love and my mercy. So, to, so to, to become part of his family, just it's simply to turn away from, from all the things that the ways in which we've looked away from Jesus and all the things we've filled in the gaps thinking that, that somehow this would be better. And, and this isn't an invitation just to add Jesus to our already busy, chaotic, sinful, idolatrous lives by any means. But it's to lay all those things down and to worship Jesus just like the Marys did, to make him priority, to make him central to our lives. And that, the second move is just simply follow. Jesus talks about that all the time. Just come and follow me. He said that to, to Peter, which I think is one of the most beautiful depictions of God's love and God's grace. In John chapter 21, Peter, the one who abandoned him, the one who said, I don't even know the guy. After he resurrects from the dead, he, he comes to Peter and he says, hey, I want you to lead my sheep. I want you to lead my people. If you love me, you'll lead my people. And, and Peter says, well, Jesus, of course, you know, I love you. And well, I mean, our track record isn't that great, but, but I, I love you. I'll do whatever you, you want me to do. And after having this, this dialogue and this, this exchange, he says, he simply says, come and follow me. 
And that's how he invited his early disciples to come. He says, come and follow me. Come and, come and worship me. This is the yes word. This is the yes to Jesus. Yes to obedience. Yes to his ways. Yes to his word. This is yes to listening to him, obeying him, considering him, denouncing anything that gets in the way of this relationship. This is the, the yes. I will follow you wherever you go, even in the uncertainty, even in the unknowns, even when I'm filled with fear and doubt and I don't have everything worked out, I will follow you and trust you because I know that you're good because I know that you you lived and I know that you died and I know that you rose from the dead. Come and follow me. And the good news with Jesus is that we never walk this road alone, is that we, we do this with friends. Isn't it interesting that Jesus does? He doesn't come just to individuals and, and there's a few examples, but, but most of the time he's, he's coming to this group of people, his friends, his companions. Paul's gospel says that 500 people saw Jesus resurrected for the dead. So for six weeks after his resurrection, he's interacting. He's having meals with, with his friends. He's, he's talking to them. He's explaining the mission and how it's going to continue to go forward that we never do this. This isn't a privatized thing. This is a, 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 a relationship that happens with a, a family of families, other fellow disciples of Jesus. And so we don't go it alone. The Great Commission that at the end of Matthew's account that we looked at for a few minutes here, to, to go and make disciples of all nations, is it's a baptized community. That we've been baptized by the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, this relational God. And now we are, as baptized believers, disciples of Jesus. We, we live this out to go make Jesus known in the world. That he didn't just rise from the dead so that we can say, oh, great, we get to go to heaven when we die. What a great blessing that is, of course. But that's not the whole story. Jesus is alive and something new has broken into human history. And we have good news to tell that sin and death and hell and suffering and pandemics and disabilities and wars and famine and injustice don't have the last say. They don't have the last say. As we go out, we, we, can, we can make Jesus look great in how we work and how we live and how we treat other people, how we love our enemies, how we pray, how we forgive, how we, we, we take on the work of the kingdom in every sphere of, of culture. We have work to do because a new day has dawned because Jesus walked out of the tomb. It is finished. He is risen. He is not here. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's ruling and reigning. And so of all people in the universe, followers of Jesus have a hope, even in the midst of uncertainty, even in the midst of these, these troubling times. And my prayer has been for you, whoever is listening and watching this this morning, that you would experience the good news of the resurrected Christ, that he would come into your life and you would say, yes, I too want to follow. And so we have a, a, a special uh, privilege. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, but then I'm going to share some testimonies of how God has changed ordinary men and women just like you and me by his grace and by his, his resurrection. Let us pray. Father, Jesus is alive. He altered human history. He altered our history. He changed everything because the tomb is empty. That our lives are secure in him. And thank you that Jesus still speaks these words of grace, these words of truth, these words of mercy. He still says to the entire world, peace be with you. Peace is available in me. 
Greetings, rejoice, be glad, don't be afraid. You may not understand all that's going on in the world. You may not understand all that's going in your life and why things are the way they are, or why things happen the way they happen. But I say, don't be afraid because the tomb is empty. So I pray that the, the, the words of Jesus would get deep in our bones, in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls, that it would change us, that we would truly go out with a new perspective and, and, and a new uh, intentionality of, in our lives, a, a new way of being and doing and living because of the resurrection of Christ. A new hope would settle on us today. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.